Welcome to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by APT Capital Group, where Kyle and Lolita talk to top experts and seasoned passive investors in the business to help provide clarity and key insights to keep you safe on your journey to financial freedom. Our goal is to help you get educated on how to create passive income for you and your family using real estate as your vehicle. If you enjoy the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. Now, here are your hosts, Kyle and Lolita. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host, Lolita, also joined by Kyle. Before we get started, please make sure to head over to our website, aptcapitalgroup.com, and grab our free Passive Investor's Guide. Also, if you're interested in learning more about what we do, you can schedule a call with Kyle on our website as well. All right, time to get into our show. Today, we have Chris Miles here with us. Chris, thanks for being here. How's it going? It's such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Before we head into the interview, here's a little bit about Chris. Chris, also known as the cash flow expert and anti-financial advisor, teaches entrepreneurs and professionals how to get their money working for them today. He's an author, podcast host of the Chris Miles Money Show, and has been featured in U.S. News, CNN Money, and various other outlets. Listeners, if you're looking to increase your cash flow, you'll want to stick around for this. So Chris, I'll let you take the floor from here. And could you please tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do? Yeah, you know, uh, so I started out before as the anti-financial advisor, you know, I actually started out as a traditional financial advisor. And the only reason I actually got into it was because I was looking to become a business consultant, right? And I thought if I was going to be a business consultant, shouldn't I have real life business experience, right? And so anyways, I ended up dropping out of college and the first business that came my way that I thought was hard to get into, I didn't realize they would take anybody who could pass a test. Um, that was becoming a financial advisor, right? But I love being an entrepreneur. I love controlling my own destiny and my own freedom. So I actually stayed on that path, stayed dropped out of college, kept doing that for four years. And then about four years in, you know, I, I started to question some things, right? Because I'm the kind of person that likes evidence. I like to know that things work. I like to see real results. And as I was in that business longer, right, I started to notice that people that were coming to me that I inherited from decades of financial advice, they weren't much better off than everybody else, right? And so I thought, well, that's weird. What? Because shouldn't they be all better off? Shouldn't these people be retiring? Like I've been promoting, like, hey, in 30 or 40 years, everybody should retire, right? Everybody should be a millionaire, you know? And as I started to really get into it, I realized, well, there's false assumptions, right? I mean, for example, the stock market, they think the stock market goes up 10 or 12% a year when in reality, it's only about seven and a half or so percent a year. And then inflation, they say inflation is only two or 3%, but in reality, it's like five, seven or more percent a year, right? So all these things, when you start putting in real numbers, it gets super depressing. But the thing is my pocketbook was tied to it. So I, did, so I didn't know what to do. So I basically just sucked at sales, right? Like I just wasn't a great salesperson with the financial advice stuff, right? But end of 2005, a guy I trained to be a financial advisor left to go do real estate investing with his dad. And so four months later, you know, I decided I was going to call him up, wish him Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, right? And, and I started talking to him. I'm thinking, okay, this guy's probably broke. Like he probably went and chased his dream of real estate investing and he's broke now, right? Totally false. Like I tell him, he's like, well, how are things going? He's like, man, that's awesome. He's like, my dad has doubled his income from being a professor at the local university. And I said, that's, that's impossible. You know, that's too good to be true. As you guys probably hear, right? Your, your time sometimes as well. He's like, no, like that's actually what we're getting, like real cash flow. And we went back and forth about what's better, stocks or real estate, right? And finally, he stopped me. He said, Chris, 
how many of your clients are truly financially free where they don't worry about money? Not retired, but they don't worry about money. And I thought about it. I was like, well, none. Even the ones that are retired still watch CNN. If you watch CNN, you're going to freak out about everything because it's a fear channel, right? He's like, okay, well, good job, Chris. Nobody's retired, financially free. Well, how about this? If anybody's figured it out, shouldn't it be you guys as financial advisors? So how many of you are financially free, not off the commissions you're earning, but actually doing the investments, the mutual funds, the things you're proponing, that you're proposing, right? And I thought about it. I'm like, none. I, not even the guys that make tons of money in the office, none of them can retire right now. They have to keep working. He's like, well, there's your problem. And I was like, all right, well, tell me the answer. And he finally, he just said, all right, if you're really serious, get the book by Kiyosaki called Who Took My Money? So it's a different, more lesser known rich dad book, right? Um, which rips into mutual funds. And then he's like, listen to this radio show that these investors, these real estate investors do, kind of like you guys, right? But it was AM radio back in those days. There weren't podcasts, wasn't a thing yet. And so I started listening to it, realized, oh my gosh, like this is legit. This, this is real stuff. So I actually quit March of 06, quit being a financial advisor, but I would never go back. I would just be a mortgage broker and teach ballroom dancing on the side at the local university. And the little known fact I was one of the nation's top amateur ballroom dancers, right? And then what ended up happening is I ended up, I was able to get myself financially free and able to get out of the rat race by the summer of 2006. And it was like, holy crap. Like I didn't think it would be that easy. I thought I'd have to work my tail off till I was 40 plus years old and then retire and live on the interest, you know, that two or 3% that advisors tell you to live on. And I didn't do it. So that's when I realized like, I got to come out of this. Like I got to teach this stuff. And so 2007, I actually came out of retirement when I was 29 years old, been teaching people how to do this stuff ever since. So you, you've technically been out of the rat race twice. And so talk about the rat race. A lot of people know what that is for, for people that don't know what it is. Can you kind of give a definition or your definition of the rat race? Yeah. I mean, there's a mental rat race and a financial one, right? So I'm talking about financial independence, which I see, think is different than financial freedom, financial independence or getting out of the rat race just means that your passive income or your residual income or whatever income streams you have coming in that you're not working every day for, they're coming in to pay your monthly expenses. So you could basically stop working that active job and now you work because you want to, not because you have to. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of touched on it there, but why did you go back after you left the rat race once? I mean, most people, if they get out of the rat race, they're, I'm done. I'm, I'm not going back in there, but you decided to kind of hop back in. What's the reason? You know, there was a few, com- a few little moments I had. One in particular was like right about the time I got out of the rat race, um, the guy that was on the radio show, one of the co-hosts, right? He actually died in a plane wreck. And I went to his funeral and I was just blown away by the legacy he was leaving behind. And some just told me, like, I remember I came home, I can't cancel all my meetings for that day. And I just sat on the couch with my wife. I said, you know, I feel like I have some part in this mission to forward this cause. I didn't know what it looked like. I'm just a teacher. I love teaching, right? Even though I've been out of the rat race, you know, the thing is like, I still love it. And that was the fire that was kind of building within me. And, and that's why in 2007, about six, seven months later, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to get out of the rap. I'm going to come out of that retirement mode and actually be out there actively teaching. Yeah, I I do think it's maybe a little bit different. And tell me if I'm wrong, but you know, most people stuck in the rat race are on that wheel every day and really not following their passion. It does sound like you're definitely following your passion. For sure. You know, I'll tell you, like I've been there too, you know, where you can't, you feel like you don't have the money to follow a passion, you know, because I mean, during the recession, because see, the thing is I got out of the rat race, but when I, here's the mistake I made. When I came back out, I, I partnered up with some guys and they said, hey, Chris, I don't like to have all these different streams of income, even though that's what we're teaching. They're like, no, we want you to focus here. So they, they had me cut off my streams of income. 
I had real estate, but the thing is, I was I was at the point where I thought I had the Midas touch and pride leaked in. And so I just more gambled real estate. I was more banking on appreciation versus banking on cash flow, right? And so this perfect storm hit us, especially because we we're focused towards real estate investors at that time. And uh, the next thing I know, I was back in the rat race in 2008. I was actually in the hole 16000 a month, over a million dollars in debt with everything going on, just everything happening between the business and with the real estate market, everything. And I had to get myself back out of the rat race a second time. You know, By the way, I never recommend you get out of the rat race twice. That sucks. It actually took me to dig out of a million dollar debt hole. It took me till end of 2016 to come back out of the rat race. But I had no money and no credit left. And I had to start from scratch. You know, in fact, less than scratch. Most people are just starting from zero, right? I was starting from negative 1.1 million, you know, try to dig back my way back out of that without filing for bankruptcy. The thing is, you can still live your passion. In fact, I think it's because I follow my passions and not just follow my passions, but followed because they say do what you love and the money will follow is a key thing, right? That's so false because you could do what you love, but nobody cares about what you love. They care more about how it affects their lives, right? How it blesses them. And so I believe it's do what you love and that others love you doing. And then the money can follow, especially if you follow the right principles and you're not messing your wife's steward of your money. And I think that's key. Yeah, you can definitely do it, but sometimes you just got to do what you got to do to make ends meet. And I get it. You know, that's, that's what a lot of people have to deal with. Other than following your passion, what were some of the things that you did differently from the first time to make sure that, you know, the second time getting out of the rat race was going to be something that lasts for longer than it did the first time? Yeah, I really got into the numbers because when I got out of the rat race the first time, it was kind of like money was so abundant. It was like air, right? You just don't count the number of breaths you're breathing. But when the air's gone, you count every single breath, right? The thing that I learned since then is you got to watch your money. You just really have to watch it. Watch what's coming in and watch what's going out. See, savers, this, this, there's two scarcity mentalities of money. There's a saver mentality and there's a spender mentality, right? Those are both in scarcity. Neither one creates freedom. The savers always look at what they're spending, right? They're like the Dave Ramsey fans. They can never pay off debt fast enough. They can never save enough. They freak out. They never hit freedom. Spenders never hit freedom because they're always spending it. They always watch what's coming in, but they ignore what's going out, right? As a wise steward, you want, and that's the only one that's in an abundance, right? You got to watch both ways, what's coming in and what's going out. The full flow of money, you got to watch it all and control it and figure out how can I, you know, get control my expenses, not live out of a cardboard box, right? I mean, there's got to be reason here. What's productive and what's not productive? What's more destructive expenses in my life? And then, of course, is how do I make this work? How do I keep increasing that income, increasing those means so that I can allow myself to hit freedom faster? And uh, that was a big thing for me was doing that. Another one is don't ignore your relationships because when you're in desperation and scarcity, you feel like you have a disease, right? And you're afraid of spreading that disease. I learned that the worst thing you can do is ostracize yourself from everybody else because again, dollars follow the value you create for other people. So if you want to create more money, you got to find ways to keep solving problems, adding value in people's lives that they want to exchange money for that service or for that product, right? When I ostracized myself, I was actually rejecting money because I was trying to keep myself away from people, but I should be serving those same people. And that's the key difference there. And so, so I actually started when I stopped ostracizing myself and started like really engaging with people again and saying, Hey, how can I come out and serve? And that's really when I started to learn how to be resourceful. I stopped teaching people how to get out of the rat race in 2008, 2009 because I was in it. I can't teach something I'm not doing. So I started instead telling people how to get resourceful, how to find money. 
because that's what I was doing. You know, I was trying to find money to be creative any way possible. As I did that, that's, that's what people wanted during the recession because they're like, hey, I don't even care about getting out of the rat race. If I can just have enough money to live and feel comfortable, that would be nice. And so my message and my, my service to people changed, you know, and I started to do that more versus 2016 when I was out of the rat race. And then I started teaching more about, again, how to get out of the rat race. Where was it for you with that mindset shift? I think it happens for a lot of people where it clicks in your head that truly you've got to give back and you've got to add value back into other people's life for it to really to work. It's not all about us, 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 me, me, me. Yeah. How did that mind shift happen? And, and how do you teach your students on shifting that mindset? Yeah, I, I really try to help distinguish between abundance and scarcity, right? Because the scarcity monster, it rears his ugly head. And, and I'll say this, I mean, you're never truly an abundant person unless you face scarcity head on and still choose abundance. It's so easy to choose abundance when things are going well, right? You can say, I'm an abundant person and life's grand, but when things are not going your way or feel like they're not going your way, you know, you got to choose abundance. For me, a key mental shift. I had to think of a few key things constantly to get me through that because I, I suffered pretty long term. I mean, it was like two years before I really started to see this turnaround in my life. You know, one is I, I don't believe that there are any accidents. I believe that everything happens for a reason, right? And I thought, and I'd even envision in my head, I said, man, you know, if what I'm going through helps even just one person, wouldn't that be worth it? If I could help give somebody hope to press forward, because I mean, I was losing everything. I remember my wife at that time, like we were having our, about to have our fourth child. You know, I actually have eight children, you know, six of my own, my new wife, she has two of her own children. So we have eight together. We're like the Brady Bunch, Right. So at that time, we were having our fourth child. And I remember thinking, okay, we're going to make it through this. You know, it was, we had a mortgage through Lehman Brothers, which was awesome, right? Because we tried to short sale, but they would never accept any short sale offers. And then finally, we got a knock on the door and the guy's like, hey, I just bought your house at the courthouse in the foreclosure. When can you get out? And we're like, uh, we're about to have a baby next week, you know? And so I convinced him to keep me in there a few more weeks to pay him like 2000 bucks to rent. And we had to frantically, but basically have that baby and then frantically look for a place to live in the meantime, right? And it was a stressful time. I remember my wife going through postpartum and she's crying and bawling while we're trying to move. And we weren't even getting the help from neighbors because they were at some Boy Scout thing down the street. We're like, come on, we're suffering. Who's going to help us, you know? And those times, like I had to keep remind myself, like there's a purpose behind this, a bigger purpose that I don't see, right? There's got to be a reason. And really to be grateful for whatever I have. I mean, to say that, it can never get worse than this is, is a lie. It's like, it can always be worse. I'm so grateful it's not, you know, like I'm grateful that it's where it is right now. And when I started being grateful for even just breathing air. That's when things started to really turn around and shift, right? When I just started to be grateful and choose that abundance, choose gratitude, choose to see that, hey, there's a purpose behind this. And maybe it's giving me the tools to hit a higher high. Because sometimes you have to hit a lower low to hit a higher high that we've ever had before. Because that's where you learn those tools, right? To grow. And I think that was the key that started to happen for me. And, and not to mention, it gave me empathy. I mean, I'm probably one of the few financial guys out there that has empathy to say, hey, I guarantee you haven't been in a worse situation than me. There's hope here. Like there's hope to get, get out of this. And, and that's why I try to teach my students is, hey, it's one thing to get out of the rat race financially, but to become free financially, you have to be in an abundant state of mind. You, even if things are going well, but especially when things aren't going well, you still have to choose that abundance, be able to see that hey, there's faith, not fear, right? That money is a very formulaic thing. Like creating money is not just luck or exploitation like the world tells us, right? That 
you know, you got to screw people over to make money or rob people with legal plunder called taxes, right? Or anything else. That's not the case. Like it's purely from creating value and service. You can generate more money and lasting wealth. And if you start to see it from that light, it's amazing how not only do you start to have more money show up more easily, but you actually start to realize that, that you can actually be a happier person, that your life starts to improve, not just in your money, but your family life improves, your mental, your mental life, your mental emotional health improves. I mean, everything improves around you. Your physical health should improve as well. All those things improve as a result of it, not just your bank account. Because who cares if you got this nice bank account, if you end up dying or just having a miserable life. Yep. Agreed. All right. So you call yourself the anti-financial advisor. Let's talk Mm -hmm. about that a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, every financial advisor you see out there really dumbs it down to a few things. They tell you to save everything, spend nothing, save it forever, let it sit there in stocks and mutual funds. And then hopefully someday you might pull out something, right? And usually you're living on two, 3% max. You remember that people used to say the 4% rule, whatever you have, like if you have a million dollars, you pull out 4%. That was from the 1970s when interest rates were higher. Now bonds aren't paying the same thing. Now they're saying maybe only 2%. So if you actually save a million dollars, you're only living on 20,000 a year, that's, that's a, that you're a millionaire living in poverty. You're living below the poverty line, right? Even a multimillionaire, if you had $2 million, you would still be living at 40,000 a year. Basically, you're at the poverty line. You know That's ridiculous. And so as an anti-financial advisor, I'm telling people to get away from that stuff. Get away from the traditional stuff because I've already proven it. It doesn't work. I I just did a podcast on my own show where I talk about the 401k with a full match is impossible to retire. Unless you're saving $150,000 a year in your 401k, you cannot retire with mutual funds. It's impossible. By the way, you can't possibly save that much in a 401k. They won't let you. So the thing is that system is broken. And the only hope you have is doing alternative investments, like the things you guys talk about, right? Like doing things with real estate. That's the thing that blew my mind in 2006 when I first got out of the rat race was, wait a minute, this isn't about saving and accumulating money, that accumulation theory. This is an acceleration or cash flow practice, right? It's about how does it generate real streams of income? And that's really what I do is I, I come from a place as a consultant to say, hey, I'm not selling any products or anything like that. I'm here to show you how you could actually create a game plan, find the resources, and the money to take that to get it working for you so you don't have to work so hard for it, right? And get that money, start generating cash flow so you can retire in the next five or 10 years. And then do whatever you want, keep working or whatever, but you have choice, you have options. You can actually live your life while you can. So that's what it means to be really a, to follow anti, anti-financial advice, right? What are some of the best ways for people to start, you know, educating themselves on financial literacy? It's there's a huge lack of it out there unless you go on the internet and then, you know, who knows what you're reading. So, what are some some good ways? Well, definitely podcasts like this, right? I mean, you've got a podcast where you're talking about this stuff already, you know, and and it's already having to shape people's minds and bend it around what's possible. My show, the Chris Miles Money Show, I always recommend as well. There's always books like Rich Dad Poor Dad and things like that out there, but Books like Killing Sacred Cows is another one by Garrett Gunderson. That's an old partner of mine that we came out of retirement together back in 2007. You know, those kind of things are out there, but uh, it's really shifting the perspective. It's got to shift that perspective and, and you got to see evidence of it, right? Like for a lot of people that follow on my show, like sometimes they'll say, is it really like, is it, does it really work? And I'm like, I've got plenty of clients that are doing it. Like it's already working. I've had people that were doing the Dave Ramsey method. Then they got the point they were debt free and said, well, now what? I'm not free. 
they lied. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like being debt free isn't free. I still have to pay expenses and they're still in that scarcity mindset and they can't get out of it. And there's and still the passive income zero, they're still stuck working. But how do we reverse that? You know, how do you see that debt when it's used responsibly can actually become a huge help, right? You know, that's another thing too. I'm thinking right now is the best time to get out of the rat race because we've got real estate at all time high, right? We've got more equity in our homes than ever that could be used to generate cash flow. The stock market's been at all time high. We've got money to be able to get out of there that we can actually use to be able to create cash flow as well. Like, I mean, and people are sitting in cash. I mean, there's so much that people can do right now that they don't even realize is possible. And I can't tell you how many times I'll get somebody where I'm like, do you realize in the next few years, we could actually have you retired? You don't have to work at all. You're in your 30s or your 40s and you can stop working. They're like, no, that's impossible. No way. Are you serious? I'm like, yes. Like it's right here. I can see it. You know, and and that's the thing is that once people can see what's there and how they can actually turn it to cash flow, it's it's mind blowing. It's mm-hmm. but it's so hard because again, like you said, mainstream just teaches them to not look at your money, to ignore it, leaving that 401k or IRAs and just let it sit there and grow. Don't watch the market swings because you'll go crazy. Because the truth is you are crazy to gamble in a dumb market like that where there's high risk and mediocre returns, right? Like it's ridiculous, you know, that there's so much so many better options than doing that stuff right there. Yep. So I think educating our youth is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Any tips? I mean, you have eight children. Any tips yeah. on how to get them started early? You know, a great way is, uh, I mean, start talking, having the conversations about this stuff, right? Let them be involved and know what you're up to. Some of my kids care, some of them don't. And so, I mean, you have to kind of accept that, right? Some of them are just like, whatever, dad, sure. <laughs> but I got other kids who are like, cool, like, I want to know how do you make money? And, and I try to teach them true principles, right? And, and let them practice it. I even play a game, play like board games. Like if you guys play cash flow, I mean, that's a great game to try to play as a family because it's, it's gamifying the experience, right? And get them to think that way. And when you get them to think differently, help them flip that switch, you do exactly what Kiyosaki was hoping to do, which is create a whole, it takes a whole generation to shift people. And we're moving into that generation right now is getting people to think differently and find out. I mean, even my wife, she, she, starting her Amazon type business, right? She wants to show her girls like how to sell just one product online and how they could actually make money. They don't have to flip burgers, right? They don't have to go work the typical teenage job. They could actually do something that actually generates a lot more income and potentially even residual income. Yep. Love that. All right. Lolita is going to take us into our final four questions. Are you ready? Let's do it. Choosing the right insurance coverage for multifamily properties isn't that complicated, if you know who to talk to. At the Garzella Group, we're uniquely qualified to help you navigate the range of policy choices you have, and we're committed to saving you 30% in the process. We do intensive market research and have nationwide relationships, so we can find coverage other insurance brokers simply can't. We should talk. Go to quotenow.biz, and we'll start the conversation. Right, Chris, what is the one tool you use in real estate investing that you could not do without? My brain, (laughs) (laughs) I guess. I mean, I don't use apps and things like that. I mean, that really is like the key thing is how I use my mind and that sort of thing. I mean, I use Excel spreadsheets and pretty rudimentary. So I wouldn't say that's the tool I can't live without, although it helps. If I had to use a, if there were a tool, it'd be that. It was like just having a spreadsheet or something that tracks. And in fact, I'm updating my spreadsheet to show like, the goal, even though I've already hit my goal, but for my clients is saying, 
hey, here's my cash flow goal. Here's where I'm at. What percentage am I there to get there? And, and really focus and watch that goal. Because for me, if I can see it and visualize it, it happens so much faster. Can you tell us a story about your biggest mistake in real estate investing? And what is the main takeaway for our listeners? Yeah, I think the biggest, the biggest mistake I made was the one I mentioned earlier, right? I was banking on appreciation. And when I started ignoring the cash flow coming from property, I'm at even negative cash flow. That's why I tell my people on the West Coast, like if you got West Coast properties, sell them. They're like, you haven't seen the numbers. Guarantee, you probably need to sell it. You know, like it's probably not producing. That's the thing is like, it wasn't creating cash flow. And then what happened is that's why I lost them or I had to sell them off. Even if I broke even on some of them, I still had to sell them off because I was banking on that money growing in appreciation. And it's gotta be about the cash flow. It's not always sexy, but man, it's certain. What is it that you need to do now to grow your life to the next level? For me, it's other people. Keep building that team to create that ripple effect, right? That's the thing I've even been doing now. I've been bringing on a new coach recently and helping to keep me part-time because again, I'm semi-retired now. I don't want to ever go full-time. So trying to build that team of people around me to help take this beyond me because this mission that I have is much, much bigger than I am. And finally, Chris, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, two places. You know, One, you can go to moneyripples.com. That's M-O-N-E-Y-R-I-P-P-L-E-S.com. Lots of great stuff on there, resources-wise. And then, of course, like I said, my podcast, The Chris Miles Money Show. I've got like 450 episodes, so take a pick. <laughs> Perfect. Well, Chris, awesome stuff and incredibly impressive. Thanks for spending some time with us today. We appreciate it. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. You can also go to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate group on Facebook so you can connect with Kyle and Lolita and ask your questions that you want them to answer on the show. Subscribe too so that you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, to stay updated, head on over to aptcapitalgroup.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with Kyle and Lolita, sign up on the Contact Us page so you can talk to them directly. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode.